This is the Sarah Swain Show, where we talk all things bold and courageous business and have big and free conversations with brave humans. Nothing is off the table here, so get ready to be moved, challenged, empowered, and propelled into action. (laughs) Welcome to the Sarah Swain Show, Devin. I'm so excited to talk, talk to you today. I feel like you're someone I've known for a very long time, even though um, you're fairly new to me. I think I stumbled across you like many other platforms when uh, more Canadians than ever had uh, banded together in fighting for our freedom. Yes. So I'm so glad that I found you and I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. So welcome. So I think I think the, it's the the kinship of freedom that makes it feel as if you know we've known each other forever. Yeah, because that's that's certainly how I feel with most of the persons that I speak with in my inbox. Some some of them I've never seen their faces. Um, I, I you know I don't know their names because they're using weird usernames. But <laughs> but it feels like you know I've known them forever. It's the it's the kinship of freedom. I couldn't have said that better myself because that is exactly what it feels like. And when you say you're, you're chatting with people in your inbox, you don't even know their name or what they look like. Uh, that's so true. Sometimes I find myself in this deep, really incredible discussion with like no name, 1327, yes. and they have and they have no profile picture. I'm like, who am I yes. even talking to? Right yes. And, and sometimes you're not even paying, paying attention. Someone just messages you, ask a question, you respond, move on to the next one. Sometimes you don't even realize who you're talking to. Right? <laughs> but it's an immediate connection, right? And that's the beautiful thing about freedom is the unity aspect of things. And uh, there's just so much for us to be grateful for right now, even though uh, we are in a time where uh, it feels very uncertain. Uh, some people may even use the word um, fearful, mm-hmm. concerning, worrisome. Uh, so how do you choose to keep yourself rooted in forward movement? Because you're someone that I watch on Instagram and you're laser sharp with uh, your points of view and how you choose to look at things, uh, how you uh, defend your argument or pres- or position on things, but you have a way about you that keeps people focused on solutions and what people are able to do. How do you keep yourself grounded in all of that? Uh, someone being as busy as you are and when it's so easy to um, fall into the trap of hopelessness. So I, I actually was in the trap of um, hopelessness um, before the Freedom Convoy. I was, I think I gave up, <laughs> to be honest. I think I gave up and I was looking at, you know, going back home to Jamaica and back home in Jamaica, it's no better either because the prime minister there um, was doing the same things that um, Trudeau was doing. The only difference was that the Jamaican people were resisting. So if you look at Jamaica right now, I think maybe 20 to 25% um, have are fully injected. So I was really, really considering uh, just, just, you know, finding some way to get out of this place. I don't know, um, sail on a boat. I don't know, swim across, uh, jump on a shark and, <laughs> and head over or something because Trudeau, Trudeau told me I can't leave the country. So what am I supposed to do? And then, you know, Freedom Convoy happened and I'm like, oh, wow. It looks, it looks like there are more Canadians on my side um, than I thought. 
of course, I was feeling depressed at the time because I saw um, Canadians wishing death on me. I saw Canadians wishing that I lose my children. I saw Canadians wishing that I lose my, my job. I'm like, I'm like, how did usually nice and happy and wonderful people somehow turn into glaring maniac monsters? How yeah. the hell did this happen? Yeah. So Freedom Convoy was uh, it, it woke me up and I think it woke up a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And when I went there, I'm like, oh my God, the energy here is fire. I've never, I've never felt this kind of energy before in my life. I've got so many hugs. I've met so many people. Listen, Freedom Convoy united uh, more people than any government in the world. I saw Eastern Europeans there from Russia, from Ukraine, from Poland, and all of these people came together as one. Right now, the Canadian government and the US government and and Russia has the Ukrainians um, warring with the Russians, Ukrainians actually warring with themselves. But at Freedom Convoy, they were one people. Yes. Freedom Convoy, um, there were Jamaicans there, there were Trinidadians there, there were Africans there. It was one people, and it was at that moment we recognized that, hey, if we can put our differences aside, if we can draw up a table and sit and talk talk with each other, whether you're, you're Israeli and you have a problem with Palestinian, you're Palestinian and you have a problem with Israeli, if we can draw up a table and sit around that table and have a conversation with each other, then we'll have a better society because the government thrives on dividing people they thrive on that because without a divided society they can't have power if imagine if if israel and palestinians uh, come together and say hey we're we're done with this war we're tired of this governments the the nato would lose power instantly the u.s would lose power instantly because they have no reason now to go to these people's countries to exploit their natural resources yes yes right? so so i so i keep my myself um grounded um by by thinking in this month in, in this manner that we can actually um come together by of course we're going to have different opinions. We're going to have different views. But yeah. those different views doesn't mean that we can't get along. I come from a libertarian perspective. Yeah. So if somebody says that, hey, I'm Marxist or I'm socialist or I'm communist, I'm going to say, okay, sure, fine. You can be whatever you want. You can be whatever the hell you want. But it doesn't mean that you can force me to enter into your, your Marxist or communist or socialist communion. It doesn't mean that you can coerce me into doing so. And it doesn't mean that you can use government power to do that. So if you want a Marxist or a communist society, you are going to have to volunteer, get people to voluntarily enter into that. I don't know how you're going to do it, but but you're going to have to get people to opt into that, right? So that's the the perspective um, that I'm coming from. And and I think that's how people um, need to view government. As a, as, a, as a libertarian, I see I, I want to see a limited government, a government limited to the equal protection of our life, mm-hmm. our liberty, and our property. Life yes. meaning that nobody can take your take take your life without consequences. Mm-hmm. Liberty means that nobody can enslave you. Mm-hmm. Property 
you know, it, it's, it's your body, you know, it's your house, it's your car, it's anything that you legally own. And I legally own my body. So yeah. for you to tell me that you're going to give me my rights back if I give you my body, hell no. Yep. <laughs> hey, hell this, no. this was like the best podcast episode ever. And we are just getting started. You just touched on so many power points in your opening dialogue here, I want to go back to the absolute truth behind your statement of if we all just sat down at a table and had a conversation, how much quickly and efficiently and fairly and nonviolently solve problems better than any government ever could. And it's so important for people to recognize the blatant and um, very purposeful division that our government is striking down upon us here in Canada. Because you're right, if people are divided, then the government becomes more relevant If the government no longer has individual groups of people to save their voter base from in an election campaign, then what is propping up their election campaign? And this is a hard reality for people to face and accept because one would think that a a human would not want to leverage the pain or the plight or the marginalization or the ridicule uh, or the danger of a certain group of people in order to advance one's career or advance a party's platform. But that's very much what we are seeing here in Canada and in just about every other country across the world and even countries against other countries. And I was chatting about this um, with another podcast guest. And there's something more behind the lockdowns of our restaurants, our dining establishments, our bars, because there's something that happens when people sit down with one another and talk and share their thoughts and have open dialogue. Uh, So to be kind of blocked from doing that, Uh, My tinfoil hat kind of sets itself on my head and thinking, did they not want us to gather? Because if we gather with one another, uh, then we have dialogue. And if we have dialogue, then we can probably achieve a greater sense of unity or bring down some walls. So by keeping us physically separated, uh, I believe there was something more to that because there certainly was no science to support the closure <laughs> of restaurants. We know that wasn't a thing, um, but this is what we're facing now. And, and I can't agree with you more about the energy behind the freedom convoy. And it breaks my heart that more people weren't open to experiencing it and allowing themselves to get a a firsthand opportunity to hear people in the freedom convoy, to experience people, to listen to people, to meet people. Um, Because there's no denying that that energy that we were all feeling, whether you were there boots on the ground in Ottawa, whether you were 
rolling out with the convoy itself, whether you were supporting online, whether you were attending rallies in one of your um, local communities, the energy we all felt was love. There, there's nothing more powerful than that. And you're right, man. The the Freedom Convoy did better than any government has ever done when it comes to literally uniting people. And I wasn't in Ottawa, but I was watching I what felt like 24 hours a day the entire time they were there. And there's no denying that there was unity. And this was a golden opportunity for Canada to come together as a nation. And do you think that uh, we all, we obviously know, uh, even for those of us that weren't physically in um, Ottawa, we all know that it was not a violent or illegal protest. We know that. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on why it was dismantled and taken down? Because Justin Trudeau's feelings were hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and they said as much because there were signs up that says, um, I, I don't know if I can curse on your show. So I'm going to yeah, go this. for it. <laughs> um, you know, there were signs that said, you know, fuck Trudeau. And there, there were all those signs and they were in the House of Commons saying, um, the liberal politicians were saying, why should Trudeau go outside to talk to people with signs up that says, fuck Trudeau, right? So it's clear that his feelings were hurt. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the reasons why um, they shut it down. No, the other reason they shut it down is because, so here's here's something that I realized. And this this also goes back to the, um, the Ukraine, U- Ukrainian issue as well. The government said that the Freedom Convoy was there to kick them out. They said it was sedition. They said that they were there to overthrow them. Of course, we were confused about that. Like, there was nothing to suggest that we were there to kick them out. Sure, I was standing up outside of Justin Trudeau's office. I took a picture, but (laughs) I I wasn't there to open the door and kick you out and say, hey, you're no longer prime minister. No, that's not what we were there to do. Sure, we wouldn't mind if you resigned. We'll be happy about that, right? Um, we don't mind you calling an, an election and then we, you know, we kick you out that way. But we weren't there um, to force you out of out of, out of out of government. So when the Ukrainian thing happened, now I started to research it because I didn't know much about it. So mm-hmm. I started to research it, and somebody told me to go watch um, on Netflix. I think something called winter ukrainian winter. i can't recall what the name yeah. is on netflix winter on fire i think winter, or something yeah, like that winter on yeah. fire. so i watched it i think it was 2014 when the government was they, they they got rid of the government right so i watched it and i watched how the ukrainian people rose up and you know and said to the government that they need to leave the government responded with force you know killing some of them and i looked at it and i'm like wait a second this is the Ukrainians' freedom convoy, albeit it was violent. We weren't violent in Ottawa, but this was violent. So I'm wondering if the government thought that, so the government actually supported the Ukrainians in doing that, right, in overthrowing the government, Canadian government and the U.S. government. So I'm wondering if they thought that something similar was happening with the freedom convoy because they had experience with something Mm -hmm. like this. So maybe they actually did think that the freedom convoy was there to overthrow them, right? Because yeah. they did it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They've overthrown governments themselves. So that's yeah. what I was thinking. 
right? But you know, that's a possible, you know, alternative. I don't know um, if that's true, but um, it is clear that the government has their own propaganda campaign. You know, um, whenever something happens that they don't like, they call it racist. They call yes. it misogynist. Yeah. Um, they call it, you know, you know all, all kinds of names you can think about. So whenever somebody says that, hey, um, this guy over here is a racist, I'm going to say, hold on a sec. Take out my phone. I'm going to go on Google or DuckDuckGo. I'm going to type in the name of the person. I'm going to read up their bio. I, I'm going to find out where they were last night, what they ate last night before I decided that person is racist because I am not going to trust anything that these people say because people don't know what racism is. Apparently not. They don't know what uh, misogyny is. They don't know. And the continued use of these words makes them less powerful. When you call the Freedom Convoy a racist event or a white supremacy event, then what the hell are you going to call real racists and white supremacists when they show up? Are you going to be able to even recognize them? If so, if somebody like me, a Jamaican, walking around with a Canadian flag or, 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 or a Jamaican flag um, in Ottawa is being called a white supremacist, <laughs> my God, <laughs> then... It makes no sense. It makes no sense. So if I'm a white supremacist, then how are our children, who are other people going to be, be able to identify these people? Yes. You can't. So you can. the, words, the words have been weakened. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know if that's purposeful and I don't know if it's by accident, but it's a dangerous thing. And they're doing the same thing with fascism. Yep. So, yes. so during Donald Trump's um, uh, presidency, right, they would say that Trump was fascist. But, you know, we're not really paying attention, you know, to, to what they're saying. Right. But when you start to actually look into fascism, you're starting to realize, hold on. Something strange is happening. I was reading a book called, um, I think it's called Tyranny. I have it upstairs. The book started really well, you know, defining fascism, talking about fascism until it got to Donald Trump. They were trying, the book was trying to accuse Donald Trump of being fascist. So I'm like, wait, hold on a second. I did that Google thing and I Googled the author. I'm like, who is this guy? This guy is a member of the World Economic Forum. The guy that wrote the book. (laughs) Right? I'm like, mm, okay, I got you. So it seems as if these guys are trying to deflect from who the real fascists are. So mm-hmm. if they call Trump, if they call Pierre, if they call Roman, if they call the Freedom Convoy fascist, then nobody's going to look at them, the persons who are the real fascists, because fascism is simply using government to control private enterprise, to control the free market. Right. And that is, and if you look back into the past, that is how Nazism strived. Communism and socialism isn't as powerful as fascism and Nazism. Nazism came from Marxist ideology. Nazism, that they call national socialism, is actually fascism. What Hitler did was took control of the, 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 the private market, he let it operate but it only operated to do what he said says it's supposed to do. So if a company steps out of, li- out of line, that company gets nationalized or mm-hmm. the company gets shut down or the owner gets replaced, right? Yeah. And then they use that private market to fund their, 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 their war machines. That's how fascism works. So if you look at Donald Trump, 
I didn't see Trump trying to take over private enterprises. I didn't see him trying to over-regulate private enterprises. But I see Trudeau doing that. Mm -hmm. I see Biden doing doing that. I see them shutting down small businesses that like that you said said before. They're shutting down small businesses. So like the Walmart or the Costco or the Canadian Tire will replace them in, and, and take over that market share. And when they take over now or take control of those big companies by a regulation and by um, what do they call it? ESG scores, environmental, societal, and uh, what's the G stand for? I don't, I don't, and governmental. Okay. governmental. So it's the ESG scores under the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So that's what they use um, to score corporations. So like Tesla has the lowest ESG scores. And the reason why is because apparently Elon Musk doesn't really like them that much. But but um, what uh, Microsoft has the highest ESG score because their founder is Bill Gates. Interesting. So they, yes. So they use these things to control corporations, tell them what to do and what not to do. For example, if Disney didn't oppose uh, uh, the, the Florida, Florida's... Um, DeSantis? Yeah, DeSantis. If they didn't oppose DeSantis's bill on parental rights, their ESG scores would fall. But because they opposed it, their ESG scores are going to go up. And when their scores go up, you know, they get access to politicians. They get access to increased um, financing. Um, they get access to all of these wonderful things. Right. And that's how that's the direction that the world is going in right now. ESG and United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. That's the credit. That's, that's the credit rating system that, that they're going to be using to control these corporations. And that is the fascist rule that we see. They, listen, these people aren't idiots. They realize oh. that socialism isn't going to work because the people are going to revolt. Communism isn't going to work. The people are going to revolt. So they want to find something that's going to work long term. Make mm -hmm. no mistake, Nazism would still be here strong and roaring if it wasn't for that war. Yep. A war had to bring down Nazism. Yeah. Communism and socialism was brought down under its own weight. Yep. So you see, if we allow Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden and all of these other European country, countries to continue doing what they're doing, we're going to have to find one of Elon Musk's um, <laughs> ships and fly Get to Mars. <laughs> yes. Because you're, you're so on point. It's ridiculous with all of this. And I love that you touched on how they're using, and this is the psychological warfare, right? That That is very much happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether it's, whether it's through political dialogue, mainstream media, uh, the education system that um, the children are in, this dialogue is occurring that is uh, causing people to not even realize what they're identifying with what they're supporting what they're what they're standing against what they're opposing and when it comes to words like uh, racist misogynist fascist those are the best examples of how they're painting people like you and I so you are the the black man who is racist I am the woman who is a misogynist yes. we know this makes no sense but people are so afraid 
to be even remotely associated with terms like racist, misogynist, or fascist, that they will, whether they are conscious of it or not, work to exhibit the exact opposite values and the behaviors and the actions and the dialogue to disassociate themselves with those things, which essentially turns them into individual anti-freedom promoters, whether they're aware of it or not. And this is the dilemma that we're in with people understanding the uh, warfare that's being used on us right now, psychologically, spiritually, um, in order to pit us against one another, the old divide and conquer, um, and to make people believe things that are literally the opposite from truth. Yeah. So when it comes to our political system, it can feel hopeless. And I, I share your uh, sentiments about being there myself, um, feeling very defeated prior to the Freedom Convoy, feeling um, very hopeless, uh, even over the Christmas holidays. Um, and the Freedom Convoy uh, reignited so many of us, and then it brought so many more incredible people in. Um it brings us down to what the hell do we do about this? And there's a lot of people who uh, just say there's nothing that can be done. We're all screwed and they're totally fear-based. And uh, in my opinion, perpetuating the problem uh, where there's others that are genuinely looking for solutions. Uh, I myself see solutions by way of our political system. And I know that you uh, have been very politically involved, especially as of late, what are your thoughts on what the average Canadian can do? We know that we're on fire right now. We know that uh, the further Trudeau's reign continues to, to go on, uh, only continues to grow this fire. But what is what can we as individuals start to do other than open our eyes, other than try and run around and wake everybody up and help them see what the heck is happening right now? Uh, for the people who are here and they get it uh, and they feel like, I don't know what the heck to do in regards to our political system, what's your take? So the first thing that you have to recognize is that um, freedom isn't free. Um, you know, our, our ancestors fought um, for freedoms. My ancestors, um, you know, um, were slaves, um, Jamaican slaves. Um, and, uh, you know... <sighs> They, they they struggled for uh, 400 years in slavery. And uh, I can say the same for many Eastern Europeans as well, who they, their ancestors were slaves as well, especially under communist, uh, communist rule. So they fought um, with blood, sweat, tears, their lives. Some of them don't have any descent, living descendants because, you know, they passed away. Um, without having any children. So they fought hard for their freedoms. We have to do the same. And yeah. we don't have that part of a fight ahead of us. We don't have chains on our feet. We don't have whips um, on our backs. We don't have, you know, collars on our necks, right? We have the ability to fight back. We have tools at our disposal. And one of the ways that we can fight back is by, becoming involved in the process, like what you're doing. You have you have the parliament. We have people on here right now um, watching and listening and learning. 
because they want to get involved in the process. And how you do that, and I, I, I was speaking about this today, I'm trying to find out who I can support right now in Ontario at the provincial level. I'm mm-hmm. researching the Ontario party. I'm researching the new blue party. There are things that I don't like about each party, but I know I have to make a decision. I'm not voting for it. And, and definitely I'm not voting NDP and liberal or green. Because mm-hmm. I, I see if I vote for it, I'm basically saying to Ford that you did the right thing. You yes. did the right thing in shutting down businesses. You did the right thing in denying um, denying doctors the ability to save lives. You did the right thing in allowing people to die in hospitals. You did the right thing. That's that's what it means to me to vote for Doug Ford. So now I have to make a decision. Who am I going to vote for? And how citizens can do this is by looking up who the alternative candidates are. Research them, call them, talk to them. I spoke with my prospective MPP. I'm going to speak to the other one. Um, find out what they're about. And after you do that, make a decision. Okay, I'm going to vote for this person. But after you make that decision, don't sit at home and say, okay, I'm going to vote for this person. My work is done. Mm-hmm. No. If you do that, you're going to end up with what they call, you know, vote splitting. Um, the candidate, they can't do it on their own. The candidate needs to raise funds. They need to print placards. They need to print um, launch signs. They need to print posters. Um, they need to be able to make phone calls, um, door knocking. These things are expensive. So we have to get involved now and to help them to fund these things. Our ancestors, um, you know, uh, went through worse. Our ancestors had to hide and do these things. They had to worry about their next door neighbor who is going to send a message to the government to say, hey, um, Sarah, is reaching out to the resistance and you need to come get her. We don't have to go through those things. Mm-hmm. We have it much easier. Find $10, find $20. It does find out, find $1 and give to your candidate and say, here you go. I don't have much, but here you go. Because I know that you will need this to get into the house of commons, to get into the house of parliament, to represent me. That's a small price that you have to pay. And then you have to, Go out there as well. Join your candidate's team. Knock on doors. Um, talk to people. Um, find out how people are feeling about what's going on and introduce them to the candidate and say, I need you to vote for this candidate because this candidate um, represents me. This candidate is about family. This candidate is about freedom. It's about smaller government. Um, it, you know, it's about um, defending and protecting the things that we hold dear. So speak, and don't be afraid. I know a lot of people are afraid of speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I understand, you know, you're afraid of saying the wrong thing and afraid of being called racist, <laughs> afraid of being called misogynist. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of anybody, right? Speak out and speak your truth. And that is how you get your candidate elected. Yes. Now, on the federal level, we know that we have multiple candidates. Um, our favorites are Pierre, Roman Baber, um, Leslie Lewis. Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody has um, different things to say about each candidate. For example, people are afraid of Peer because Peer has World Economic Forum 
um, associated politicians surrounding him. Um, yeah. some, some are afraid of Roman because um, Roman um, is Israeli and, um, Pal- and you know, Palestinians are kind of weary of that. And yeah. um, with Leslin, I don't really hear anything um, about Leslin, so I don't, know, I don't think there's anything bad to say about Leslin, <laughs> to be honest. Right, but people have their individual concerns, and and we understand them, and we have to respect those individual concerns. Yes. So while I I'm I'm not a full supporter of Pierre because I have those concerns, I'm I'm a supporter of Roman. While yeah. some persons are not supporters of Roman because they have some concerns, um, they are supporters of Pierre, and that, and and I respect that, and we have to respect that. There are some people that believe it's my way or the highway. You're an idiot. You're stupid um, to be voting for Pierre or to be voting for Roman. You need to vote for Maxime Ber- Ber- Bernier. You're an idiot. Like those kind of energy, it turns people off because people are already wary of politics. They can't be bothered. It's too stressing. It's toxic. People who do th- these things are working against us. Yes. Right? Because no, you're going to shut the person up. They don't want to speak anymore. They don't know what to do. We have to try to caress, the, caress this moment. You know, speak to speak to persons like they're human beings. Understand that people are, for the first time, now getting involved in the political process. What I tell people to do is choose your prime minister. Don't sit back and let somebody else do it for you. Join the conservative party, not because you're conservative or not because you want to be a card-carrying member of the conservative party. Join the conservative party because you want to take control of your life. You want to choose who becomes the next prime minister of Canada. And I say the same thing. If you are a liberal party member, if you support the liberal party through and through, I don't like what Trudeau is doing. If you support the NDP and you don't like what Jagmeet Singh is doing, but you cannot bring yourself to support the conservative party, Join those parties, right? Rally your liberal friends. Rally your grassroots NDP friends. And try and wait for the next time those parties are having internal elections and kick Trudeau out. Kick Jagmeet out. And that is how you, you, you use the power you have as a Canadian citizen or a permanent resident to choose your prime minister before your prime minister is elected. Amen. And while we're on the topic, congratulations on your recent citizenship here to Canada. Yes. That was awesome to watch. There it is. There it is. That was awesome to watch on your Instagram. I wanted to make sure that I said that Um, on point. You know, we as Canadians, I think because for um, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, I'm certainly not speaking on behalf of all Canadians who have been through uh, war and enslavement and communism and all of these things. But, uh, when you're born into a democracy and you're born into a free society, uh, in contrast, you are born into easier times. If we're born into easier times, we tend to take what's around us for granted. There's an expectation that this is just how it is. This is just our government. This is just our laws. This is just the policy. This is just the election process. Because up until something happens, there isn't reason for people to be concerned because they're not thinking on the wavelength that you just stated. Democracy is not free. 
And democracy requires consistent effort in order to preserve it. And I think a lot of Canadians are learning a very hard but very valuable lesson in this right now in the sense that, oh, (laughs) I as the citizen am actually responsible. Whereas there's uh, an incorrect perception that, uh, you know, maybe someone heads to the polls or maybe they don't even head to the polls, but they have a belief that the person who is governing the country is in charge. And that's not what a democracy is. Democracy is the people are in charge. That person that's running our country works for us. And I get a lot of comments these days about what is the point? They don't listen anyway. And while that's true in a lot of cases, what I think we're failing to recognize here is that we are the ones that put ourselves in this position by allowing our government largely to just run on autopilot without much pushback uh, from citizens, without really any, any interference, without any um, level of in-depth involvement on behalf of citizens, uh, let alone citizens taking charge with their own knowledge and understanding of our political structure, uh, proceedings, anything like that. So this has been a rude awakening for a lot of people to realize that we're the ones that need to fix this. And even if we get, um, you know, our dream candidate in power, so maybe Roman gets in and you're like, yes, we've got Roman Baber. Uh, And uh, if we have this belief system, though, that Roman solely himself is going to save Canada, then we haven't learned anything from the situation that we're in. Because say Roman gets in leader of the CPC and say 2025 comes around or fingers crossed, maybe even sooner, and we get another election and Roman becomes the next prime minister. And we're all like, all right, our job here is done. Roman, you take it from here. We're a little tired from fighting for so long. Um, We're going to land ourselves back in the same situation, whether it's another the next election or whether it's another generation if we take our hands off of our democracy if we if we think that our democracy doesn't require us or that we don't have a responsibility in it then this history we we talk all the time oh history is repeating itself and people don't even see it well history repeats itself because the people allow it just as much as the government And the people are responsible because they have allowed government overreach to continue to grow. And as soon as government overreach reaches a certain point, a.k.a. we are full-blown socialism, full-blown communism, or full-blown fascism, we can't get that back through democratic process. That's what requires war as the only solution to reverse this. So going back to your point, we don't have colors around our necks. We're not getting whipped. I have yet to be reported or put on a government watch list for being a big squawk box here in Canada about all this. We have it good right now in comparison to um, how other people may be uh, or other people may have experienced um, anything along those lines. But we're afraid of the social 
backlash. So it's not necessarily that, okay, I'm just waiting for the military to show up because I did an Instagram live on something they didn't want me to talk about. The fear is not with military showing up at our door. Not yet. Anyway, the fear is what is this person going to think of me? What if my employer finds out? What if this causes a further wedge between myself and a family member? Uh, What if I lose this contract or this uh, business collaboration or partnership because I express my truth? How how did you navigate that um, when uh, you decided to be like, I got to say something here? Uh, What was your process to... Uh, get through that? Was it a concern to you? Was there any type of reservation you had? Uh, did you get pushback? Do you still get pushback? What's what's that experience been for you? Uh, so my personality is a little bit different um, from most. I usually don't really care <laughs> what, what people think or say. And I know most people aren't, aren't like that. So it's kind of difficult to compare myself with others. So I usually just speak um, speak my mind um, it does tend to make people uncomfortable sometimes, and sometimes uh, people don't really understand what I'm saying because um, sometimes when I'm speaking, it sounds like a different language, and it's it's easy for for persons to miss things and just say that you know I'm crazy, I'm tinfoil hat, I'm this or I'm that. So um, a lot of people who just don't want to hear it, they just don't bring it up, right? And I don't bring it up either. Right. Um, uh, Some relationships, of course, you know, I've lost, you know, because of it. Um, I've lost followers on Instagram and Facebook and so on and so forth because um, I I speak my mind. So uh, even right now, I'm at risk of of losing my job if Doug Ford comes on my Facebook page, um, you know, watches. I shouldn't even say this because I might lose my job now because you're going to post this. But anyway, (laughs) I can edit that out. But if he but if he goes on my page and makes the connection that you know I work for a governmental organization, I could lose my job. But at the end of the day, I, I have to speak my mind because if I don't speak my mind, who's gonna speak my mind for me? Right? Who's gonna speak on behalf of my children? I'm not gonna sit back and wait for Roman or Pierre or whoever it is, whoever it is to speak for me or my children. I'm gonna speak for them right now. And I don't care. And that's just um, my type of personality. But I want to I want to I want to jump back to what you said, you know, about the fact that it's gonna if if we sit back, if we go to sleep after you know somebody wins or you know if we get comfortable and this thing happens again, then you know um, we're gonna end up having to go to war to reverse it. The thing is, they make revolution in the West seem evil. So if you say that, hey. I, I, I strongly oppose what the government is doing and we need a revolution. The West makes it seem like an evil thing. It's evil to revolt against Justin Trudeau. It's evil to result again, re, uh, revolt against Joe Biden or Emmanuel Macron. But it's wonderful if you revolt against Putin. It's amazing if you re- revolt against, um, I can't recall the Chinese president's name. China, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing if you revolt against these African leaders or these Arab leaders. It's amazing. Do it. As a matter of fact, we, the United States and Canada, we're going to give you money to revolt and overthrow these governments. But the moment you get a whisper of 
of the freedom convoy going to Ottawa, not to revolt or not to overthrow the government, but to protest. The government is saying all these people are evil, white supremacists, and they don't care about democracy. Uh, we, we, we have elections every four or every five years, and they should make their standard elections and use the ballot box. And But they don't support the ballot box in other countries. They fund um, assassinating leaders in the East. They fund overthrowing um, these leaders. Mm -hmm. So it's all a trick. And I want to tell you something about um, this thing called democracy. You see, it's a double-edged sword because democracy can be uh, a tool for fascism. fascism. I know you've heard the term where they say that democracy eventually eats itself, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's because um, fascism, as I said, said to you before, fascism, it creates the illusion of freedom, right? Freedom so long as you do what the government, what, what the government yeah. says. We have to understand that in a, in a democracy, the majority can vote to enslave the minority. Remember, Trudeau stood up in parliament and said that Canadians voted for him to take away the mobility rights of other Canadians. He said that. Whether Canadians who voted for him recognize that or not, that is how Trudeau felt. He felt as if you voted for him to take away my rights. That is how he felt. Mm -hmm. So democracy in regards um, to this has an issue. So democracy is fine when it comes to the electoral process, right? But what we need is a system that prevents the, mind, the majority from enslaving the minority. Or when I say minority, I'm speaking about the smallest minority, which is the individual, the person, me. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have the ability to vote to hold me down and stick a needle in my heart. You shouldn't be able to vote to ban me from flying on a plane or a train or going into a restaurant. You shouldn't be able to have the power to do that. But this, but this kind of so-called democracy that we have, it allows that to happen. And we see politicians using that as, as permission to, er to erode the Charter of Rights because the Charter of Rights does allow politicians to take away our natural born rights because the Charter of Rights does not recognize our rights as natural born. It recognizes our rights as rights given to us by given. government, by human beings. And I reject that. Same. As, a, as a libertarian, I reject that premise. My rights are God-given rights. And as we say in Jamaica, you're not above God. You're not above me. <laughs> I don't know if you understand what I, just, what I just said, but the Tarantonians will understand. Right, you are not above God, you are not above yeah. nature. My rights are inalienable. My right to life you can't take away my life without repercussions. I have a right to defend myself, and if you come for me, I can come for you. Huh? I have a right to my liberty. If you try to enslave me, I have a right to defend myself. And if you die in the process, you die in the process. I have a right to my property my house, my body. And if you think that you can come and hold me down and inject me with something, I have a right to defend myself. And again, if you die in the process, so be it. I have a right to legally defend yes. myself. And this is natural law that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about um, governmental law, our constitution, our charter of rights. The government 
Charter of Rights and Constitution needs to, to, to respect natural rights. Agreed. Right. It's interesting. I don't think people understand that enough. So I'm glad you're bringing this up because I made a post on my Instagram about the concept of innate, internal, personal freedom in the sense that it doesn't matter what the government does or does not do with my definition of freedom, my individual liberty is uncompromised. Mm -hmm. And this is difficult for people to grasp because we don't feel free. But when we look at the things that we feel um, constrained by, like, I don't know, not being able to fly in our own country, not being able to leave our own country because the only bordering country we have won't let us in. Mm -hmm. Um, It's scary to feel all of these restrictions on us. But all of these restrictions are man-made. <laughs> and this is what um, I, I don't think enough people are on this wavelength. And, and it's not to say that, oh, then that means that we stop fighting for all of these things or we stop fighting for the, for the things that are in our charter of rights and freedoms. But it is something where from a personal peace standpoint, we have to recognize within ourselves that I was born free. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I'm not free because I'm I'm born into Canada and Canadian and Canada has a charter of rights and freedoms. Yeah. I'm born free because I am a human being that is part of nature on earth. <laughs> and no different. It's it's interesting how people don't associate with being part of nature and we don't we don't recognize how uh, aggressive nature can be when it comes to defending its own turf, its own home, uh, being responsible for going out and getting food, taking care of families. We see this across every living organism. But when it comes to humans, we're programmed to think that another person in some sort of system has governance over the way that we live. So I'm glad you brought that up. What would you suggest to the person who um, just wants to do something They're Maybe they've never spoken up. Maybe they've never gotten involved with politics before. Maybe they feel completely entrapped by a job where if they don't get the vaccine, then uh, they're at risk of losing their employment. Their family and livelihood are now at risk. Like what, what do people do if they're in a situation like this? I've spoken about um, the parallel economy. Mm-hmm. So we were taught to be employees, right? Yep. We, were, we were taught to um, go to school so that we can work for somebody. That's how the public system, public education system is set up. Um, it's a machinery that's designed um, by the world's elites to, to create workers, right, for them. So... Um, we have to re-engineer our thoughts and re-engineer um, how we think. So we have to move towards looking at ourselves, not, not as workers or employees, but as um, individuals who are self-employed. Mm-hmm. For example, let's say that you have a company, Walmart, right? And you want a job, you have a skill set, and you go to Walmart to, to, to get that job. 
Walmart says, okay, I am going to pay you $100,000 per year to do this. You need to realize that Walmart is asking you for your services. Technically, you are a self-employed person because you're offering your services to Walmart, right? Walmart doesn't own you. Walmart doesn't own you, right? Um, let's say that it, it, maybe it's a woodwork shop that, that's employing you. You're offering your services to them. So you have to look at it that way and then expand on it. Don't just, don't, don't just um, keep your skill range within Walmart or this woodwork shop. See if you can start working on something on the side. And that's, that's, that's kind of what I'm doing right now. I'm going to get my PNG, my professional engineering designation in, um, in summer. So I'm going to be utilizing that on the side. So my employment right now, I'm learning a lot, right? I've gained so much experience. So you take that experience and you use them on the side until you're able to wean yourself off of um, being so-called employee. Mm -hmm. Just remember that your services are valuable. So when a company says to you, I'm going to pay you $50,000 per year, and you say, Oh, my services aren't worth $50,000 per year. It's worth $70,000. So I'll do this for $70,000. If you don't like it, I'll go somewhere else. That is the mindset that you have to put yourself in. Yes. But it's hard to put yourself in that mindset because the government created a society where it's forcing you to work for somebody. Let me tell you why. Back in the day, you know, um, you have a family of four, you have a husband or a wife. The husband, could go out, work, the wife stays home with the kids. The wife could go out, work, the husband stays, stays home with the kids. One parent could earn enough for everyone to stay home. And if that one parent, for some reason, lost their jobs, they had enough savings you know, to, 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 to stay above the water until they get another, another job. It's not so today. And the reason why it's not so is because of a thing called inflation. Pierre Polivier speaks about it a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And he has good reason to, because inflation eats away at our savings and our earnings. It prevents us from creating generational wealth. So when you could earn $100,000 in 1998 and that lasts you for a whole entire year without you working, you can't do it now, right? So now you end up being... Uh, an economic slave, a worker in a car. You're, you're in the rat race, they call mm -hmm. it. Rich that poor that calls it the rat race. So now you have to be struggling to keep your head above water, and it's on purpose. Government did that. They created something called a minimum wage. That's the trick you. That is, it's, a, it's a complete trick. <laughs> they created that to pacify you while they kept stealing your earnings. Inflation keeps going up, going up um, uh, above um, you, you know, um, above your, your pay increase, right? They're yep. stealing more than what you're getting. It's an entire trick. And we, and we have to recognize that as a people. So why, so there's another rat race as well. So you know how they say that the housing market, you know, the prices are sky high. Mm -hmm. That's because you have investors parking their monies in real estate. But Ask yourself the question, why are so many investors parking their money in real estate, leaving the house empty? The house isn't making any money um, from, you know, from renting. It's making money from, you know, the value increasing. But, but they don't really care about that. They only care about parking their money so that the government doesn't get it. 
<laughs> so, so you have to ask yourself, why is that? And they mm-hmm. do that because of inflation. They are in a rat race as well. Why do you think um, business models like models like 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 Elon Musk and Bill Gates and um, what's the other one? The guy from Amazon. I can't recall his name. Oh, why wow. do you think these guys? Bezos. Yeah. Why do you think these guys park their money in so many assets? They buy up so many companies. They're in a rat race. Because if they make a billion dollars and take that cash and put it in the bank, that money is going away. It's going to be gone. So yep. it's best to park that money in real estate or buy a company and then their money is safe. So you see, yep. if let's say Pierre Polyvier's policies become a reality, mm-hmm. what you're going to find is that less people are going to be parking their money in real estate. Less people are going to be um, sharks trying to buy up as many um, companies as possible, creating all of these big monopolies like Facebook and, and Amazon is doing. Less people are going to do that because there's going to be less incentive to do that because now when I earn $100,000, I can put it under my mattress. You know, everything's fine. It's there. It's not losing value. And I can use it, um, you know, to buy food or to buy, um, to buy essentials or whatever it is, right? I don't have to take it out the bank and parked in some kind of asset to to keep it away from the government from from, from them stealing it right yeah so things like that we have to understand if we want to get ourselves out of both rat races yeah And, and this is this is where empowerment stems from with individuals because if we believe that the system has a clutch on us, then the system will have a clutch on us and we'll continue to participate in the rat race in whatever form that rat race is in our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone asked me today um, on Instagram if I actually believe that everyone can be completely sustainable, self-sustaining in their life. And I don't think the goal needs to be 100% total self-sustainability, but we definitely need to start asking ourselves across the board, whether you live rural and you can go homestead, like I'm on the mission right now to go off-grid, homesteading, the whole bit, super excited about it. Not everyone will be able to do that. Not everyone will want to do that because they're like, why would I want to live in the middle of nowhere? Like, that sounds like a nightmare. But if we look at every aspect of our life where there's even a hint of dependence on any system, that's where we start needing to dissect, okay, what can I do to make myself more liberated in this area, less dependent? Because the less dependent we become, the harder it is to be manipulated. Yes, And this is the hot pot that so many Canadians are sitting in right now, where if this keeps going, the direction it's going and inflation continues to rise and houses continue to get more unaffordable and uh, people continue to literally not be able to afford to live as a Canadian how easy does it then become for the for the government to come in and say we can help you in exchange for this? I'd like 
uh, the NDP homeowner policy that they're leading with in uh, in Ontario right now. Basically, they're calling it a home buyer's credit, but what it is is essentially a ten percent exchange in ownership for the for the sale of your home uh, that you have to pay back, or you're basically in like joint ownership with the NDP government for your home. So when it when a carrot is dangled. And someone is in that position of feeling so dependent, feeling so stuck because uh, of whatever circumstances, whether they realized they were allowing themselves to become so uh, hyper in need of government support that when it does arrive, what then does that person now have to give? Is it assets? Is it ownership? Um, Is it joint whatever with the government, this is the scary stuff that we have to start having really honest conversations with ourselves about. Mm -hmm. So you talk about entrepreneurship and I love the reframe. So even with uh, folks who are employees because they work for another company, can you start shifting your mindset and thinking, no, no, I'm bringing my services to you. This is what I do. And you're paying me. If you start adapting the mindset of an entrepreneurship, Um, Or if you become an entrepreneur and you become less dependent on somebody else's rules or somebody else saying, this is when you have to work. This is when your break is. This is when you're allowed to have vacation. And if you don't do X, Y, or Z, you're not going to have a job. And for many people in the last year, that has been a vaccine mandate. Yes. Um, So when we think about the, the vulnerable position that so many people are in, Uh, If they do the wrong thing, if they say the wrong thing, if they make the wrong decision on uh, somebody else's definition of what the wrong part of the decision is, uh, we put ourselves in the position to be very receptive when the government comes around with handouts or with solutions, which then puts us in a position to feel like we have to continue voting them into power because look at what they did for me. We saw that with the child tax benefit with the Trudeau government uh, back in September when uh, the federal election was happening. And I was very, very, very loud and vocal about needing to get Trudeau out of office um, because I knew where he was going with this chaos it was scary how many people were saying they had to vote for Trudeau because of his child tax benefit. And I'm thinking, wow, we've really got ourselves in a pickle here because we have allowed our government to put us in such a fiscally tight position that we now feel as though we don't have any other way to financially support our families other than to take money from the government. Yes. Slippery slope, no? Mm-hmm. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. So, so what do we do? So, <laughs> um, I have an unpopular solution. Um, so remember I told you that I'm for a limited government. And mm-hmm. this is something that's going to be hard for Canadians to stomach. The public education system, the healthcare system, you know, the, the government over-regulation of childcare. Guys, you got to get rid of it. We, I, I, I know that a lot of people are, are afraid when they hear about free market or private enterprise. But what is the free market? What is private enterprise? It's you and I. Mm-hmm. People. Right, right? Yeah, it's people. It's you and I. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be the one percenters. Come on. If you are a doctor, right? Yeah. If you are a biologist or, or whatever it is, 
you should be able to come to get, come together with other doctors to start your own hospital. Absolutely. But hospitals, private hospitals are illegal in Ontario. Does that make sense? Right? So persons mm-hmm. who don't have the, 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 the injection, you know, are banned from going to public hospitals. We should be able to have an alternative. Doctors should be able to come together, start their own hospitals to service persons like me. I'd pay for it. Yep. So would I. pay for it. Right? So, so we have these dilapidated healthcare systems. We have these broken down schools because government doesn't know how to run hospitals. <laughs> they don't know how to run schools. That's obvious. I don't know how anybody else is not seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the, their management of the pandemic over the last two years. Hospitals are crashing and they're blaming me. Yeah. God, I haven't been to one of your hospitals. The nope. only time I've been to the hospital was when my wife was giving birth. I've, I haven't been on a ventilator. Why are you blaming me? You have mismanaged the, the, the healthcare system for the past couple, how many, how long? Like um, maybe 20, for the past 20 years. Okay. Yep. You've been mismanaging it. But now you get you got a nice opportunity to blame somebody for it. No, the blame is off of you. Um, it wasn't the conservatives' fault. It wasn't the liberals' fault. It was those 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 dirty unvaccinated people. You know they're overwhelming the hospital. It's their fault, right? People need to wake up. Governments cannot run healthcare systems, so we need to create a private healthcare system where persons can opt into and opt out of the public system. We need to create a private education system. And the reason a lot of people are saying, "Oh, well, how are the poor going to afford healthcare?" How are they going to afford education? The answer is easy. Healthcare insurance. Number two is that when you have multiple businesses competing against each other, they tend to compete with price and quality. Mm-hmm. So a market normally opens up. So you have a market that serve the wealthy. You know, the wealthy, they say, oh, we have these nice machines, um, top class. If you come here, you know, you pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, you get the best treatment. And then you might have another hospital that has more affordable equipment and say, hey, um, we know you can't afford a hospital in Toronto, but come here. We have high quality. We're, we are Toyota, right? We're not, we're, we're, we're not name brand, but it works, <laughs> yep. right? It'll the get the job Toyota, done. They get you from point A to point B. It's just that the Benz has, you know, a higher quality. It has leather. It has these turn signals that do these amazing <laughs> things. Right, but you can get affordable care. That's how um, that's that's how a free market system works, and it's the same concept with the education system. These things are out of your reach because the government put them out of your reach, and it's for a reason. Because if the government controls public health care, control your mind. If they control, sorry, if they control public education, they control your mind. If they control health care, they control your body. Your body. Say it louder for the people in the back, my friend. That was fire. Devin, thank you. I could talk to you all day long. You know that. Uh, I appreciate what you're doing out there. I appreciate you hitting the hard points and having the hard conversations that people are otherwise very used to avoiding. But these are the conversations that we need to have in order to enact actual change and sustainable change at that What's the best place for people to connect with you if they're not already? So um, on Instagram, P-R-U-E-D-E-V-O-N, 
T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. So that's true Devon Thompson on Instagram. And on for email, it's Devon Thompson at the rule of liberty.com. Amazing. Thank you. I have a feeling we're gonna do this again. Yes. Um yes, yeah, no, I love this. This is this is the conversations we need to be having. So for everyone listening, um, keep your minds open, keep your hearts open. Uh, don't shy away from the hard conversations. Don't shy away. Like you said, Devin, don't be afraid to use your voice right now. Um, because if you're not speaking up on behalf of yourself, then you are effectively allowing the government to speak on your behalf and make decisions on your behalf. So thank you. And thank you to everyone who is here from the parliament and our live audience today. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you need support to grow or start your business online, be sure to connect with me at www.businesswithsarah.com forward slash connect or send us an email at team at businesswithsarah.com. If you love this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform to help me reach more listeners. Until our next chat, be courageous and take some action. Oh, 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 o